chapter 2. Very, very familiar passage. We've been doing a short series on the incarnation. Can people hear me okay? Because I know my voice is low. Is that okay? Not too quiet. So we've been doing a a wee mini-series looking at the incarnation. (coughs) Ken explored a part of the humanity of Christ, that he was fully human. Last week, uh, or the week before last, I delved into a bit of the divinity of Christ. He was fully God. Today I want to look at an aspect of the vulnerability of God. And then that act of becoming like us, an overall, an overarching theme of vulnerability. And so that's what I'm going to just explore briefly this morning. Before we come round the Lord's table a little bit later on. So uh, look chapter 2 and verses 1 uh, through. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there were no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my my heart be acceptable to you, my Redeemer, my Rock. Amen. So we've got a couple of accounts of the birth of Jesus. But what if Luke chapter 2 and verse 12 were the only verse that we had regarding the birth of Jesus? What would we know of and conclude about God from this one verse. And I'll read it again. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Three things I want to look at. I want to look at the humanity of, of Jesus I want to look at the helplessness of Jesus and I want to look at the humility of Jesus as we contemplate vulnerability within the Godhead. The humanity, the helplessness and the humility of Jesus. So humanity, you, the sign is this, 
you will find a baby, an infant, a newborn. An ordinary word is used here, nothing special, nothing with any other knock-on effects. You will simply find an infant, a child. That ordinary word is used to describe Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came into the world just like every single one of us here. There was a point of conception. There was a full term. And Jesus' physical birth was absolutely normal. Yes, like all of our births were different. Um, Joyce Bowton seemed to have babies everywhere but hospital <laughs> because she was very... Is Joyce here? I can't see Joyce. Uh, Joyce seemed to have babies everywhere. Taxis, hospital waiting rooms, <laughs> bed, but maybe none in a hospital, I don't know. And, and some of us may have been C-sections. All the context is different. But Jesus' birth is exactly like every single one of us here. And this is the truth of the incarnation. Although Jesus was God, and we've sang about that this morning, for all eternity, he took on humanity when he was conceived. At that very moment, when the angel appeared uh, to Mary, and the Spirit came upon Mary, as I think Scripture reads, at that moment, God, through his Son, took on humanity and all of it, absolutely all of it at that moment. He wasn't some half-baked thing either. He wasn't half-baked God and half-baked man, some sort of chimera nonsense. The confession of the church, the Orthodox church, um, since time began as it worked through these things, has always been that he was fully God and fully man. Not some half-baked, weird conception. And, abs and I, this is a point I tried to dwell on a, a little bit this week, and I got absolutely nowhere. At no point did he cease to be God. Even at that moment of those nine months when he is in Mary's womb, he continued to uphold all of creation. I don't know where you go with that. That's just, I, I can't think all that through but this is a God we worship. This is a confession of the church. And although he laid aside the outward glory of being God, of, of deity, and it's mysterious, but the Lord Jesus was the God-man, two natures, as it were, joined together in one person, fully God and fully man. And this is a central truth of Christianity. God has entered to save. We couldn't do it. He had to do it. And absolutely everything else flowed from this truth. If Jesus had not been born, well, number one, he could not have died for our sins. And he would not have been raised from the dead. He had to become like us in every way except he was without no sin because he was fully obedient to the Father's will. And by that perfect life lived in humility and submission, with conviction, with his face fixed towards Calvary, he was fully God and fully man. There was no other way. 
But some within Christianity over the centuries, and a few weeks ago we looked at Arius briefly and Athanasius, there, there has been lots of debate about this and fallouts about this, and actually a lot of heresy, which simply means non-truth, things that are contrary to the story of the whole of Scripture. But there's some within Christianity who intentionally, or, or probably more likely unintentionally, deny certain things. For instance, take the virgin birth. I read an article this week um, where um, a, a, a writer, it was an academic paper, was looking at the scientific possibilities of the virgin birth. At one point I thought, I need Sally Bennett sitting with me to read this, because there's a lot of technical terms that really needed a dictionary. But no matter what, I, I don't need scientific theories to make sense of the mystery of the virgin birth, as well as I don't need science to help me work out how God can become man, and I don't re really need any uh, formula to help me work out how Christ can be dead for three days and then rise from the grave, the risen one. I, I don't need because by faith I believe, and I open my eyes and I see, I see people in here actually that convinces me all the more that Jesus is alive and well. I hear stories and I am part of stories within here that stories of faith over long periods of time where it cannot be explained, it's, it's out of this world. And many of us, if we pause and stop, we will see things that cannot be explained um, rationally. And yet, there are some who say the virgin birth, how can that be the case? Um, it was borrowed by others from others. It is an ancient um, myth that was adopted within Christianity. Why does Paul not speak about the virgin birth? If Paul doesn't speak about the virgin birth, well, maybe it didn't happen, etc., etc., etc. I've got no problem with virgin birth. <laughs> I've got no problem with the resurrection of Christ. I've met him by his spirit. But here's a little thought. You take one or two springs out of a trampoline. Imagine a big 15-foot trampoline. I used to have one in my garden. And so I know by experience that you can still bounce on a trampoline missing three or four springs. So take out the spring of healing. You may say, I do not believe that God heals today but I still believe in him. I still believe Jesus rose from the dead, but I've prayed so much that I just don't have faith to pray for healing. And so slowly but surely and quite unintentionally, you do not believe in healing, so you have removed the spring from that trampling of healing. And you can add the virgin birth into that, and you can add all sorts of things. God does not speak today, you can add in whatever it may be. Eventually that is not going to become a trampoline eventually the bounce is going to be gone. We need to be careful as believers, especially when we're, there's lots of mystery in this thing called faith and this thing called following Jesus. We need to be careful that we do not make God in our own image. And when it comes to the virgin birth, that is one thing. Um, I believe it's biblical. I believe it's orthodox Christianity. And I read that from 1 John chapter 4, and just the first three verses, if memory serves me right. Dear friends, 
Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see wherever the, to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So today, Jesus' humanity is quite comforting to many because we all go through unbelievably difficult times. And to, to know when you're in those valleys of the shadow of death that God understands, that God has experienced, he knows what tear is, tears are and he, he knows what anguish is, that comforts a lot of people and inspires a lot of people, and rightly so. But the question of his deity, now for many, that is a problem. They say Jesus is a great moral teacher and inspiration. They say he is a leader, even a man from God or a prophet. The Jews deny that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, even though some hold Jesus in high esteem. Muslims, they vigorously deny that Jesus could be the Son of God. The notion that God could have a son like that He was only a prophet, they say. And the Hindus, they may say that Jesus is a God, but he, he's a God in a million, billion, trillion. But they deny that Jesus is a son of God who is manifest in human flesh. But this is what believers of Jesus Christ confess. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye to Bethlehem, come and adore him, born the king of angels. God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Very God, begotten, not created. Great theology from the Nicene Creed, an ancient creed of the church. A creed that was formulated to help educate the masses who are being influenced by the spirit of the Antichrist coming into the church, who wanted to make God in their own image, or they wanted to box God up. We sing it every year. In fact, we'll be singing it in Christmas morning. So Luke chapter 2 teaches us that the Lord of heaven entered this earth as a tiny baby. It speaks of his humanity. You will find a baby. That is a sign. But it also speaks of his helplessness. Because it says he will be wrapped in cloths. Imagine, if you will, um, we used to always wrap our, our kids up very tightly when we put them uh, to sleep. And one of the things that I often think of, rightly or wrongly, when we hear a, a kid's not sleeping and they don't go down well, I often think, I wonder if you're wrapping it up tight or whether it's just quite loose and freeing. And in the time of Christ, he would have been wrapped up like an Egyptian mummy. Seriously, it was a crude, because there's a lot of infant mortality, and there's a lot of 
uh, disease and illness. And it's a crude form of sort of protection. It's like bubble wrap, if you, if you were. So he is wrapped in cloths, helpless, bound. It may seem cruel that all you've got is these wee eyes popping out and it can't, you know. But, but it, it, was, it was a helpful thing and it was like bubble wrap. So what did we learn from the binding of the baby Jesus? The binding of this infant. Let's leap 30 years in the future. Where Jesus would be bound like a criminal before the authorities, before the powers and principalities. He was bound, falsely accused. He made no reply. He did not insult those who insulted him. He refused to fight uh, fire with fire, standing accused before his um, accusers, hands tied, waiting uh, for the verdict that would end his life. I don't think it's a coincidence that he entered the world the way he exited. He was bound and helpless, but it was a choice. It was a choice. Is that not the sermon of Peter, uh, the day of Pentecost, where thousands, uh, it was the birth of the church, where thousands came to faith and were filled with the Spirit, where he preached, by God's foreknowledge, he sent his son. It was no accident. It was not a domino effect that, that took Jesus to the cross. He set his face towards the cross because he knew as fully God and fully man, he must bear our sins in that place of humility and torment and shame so that we would be free and know what it means to be born of the Spirit. Helpless, yes, but willing. So looking at the baby in this way, no one can say that he came just for the rich and the powerful. No one can say that he used his heavenly entitlement um, as an easy entrance into the world. Jesus did not came, come for the few, but he came to save all. He came to save you and I, who generally many occasions during our life feel that we're unworthy of that. We feel that we are beyond being saved. We feel that we have even left the notion of God. I, I've came across one or two people in my life, um, and it's, it's a, one of the saddest memories that can conjure up my mind about, um, it's almost like self-harming. They're in a bad situation, and they feel that they must make it worse, as if it was for the better. They turn away from a relationship and then say things that are just awful. It's awful. And in their mind, I must cut this off. So I'll say the worst things because in the long run, it will be better. Jesus came for people just like that. Jesus came for all. Come all you vagabonds. Wonderful. Came for all. So Luke chapter 2, verses 12, teaches that Jesus was bound, became helpless, that we might be set free. And finally, that, this sign that Luke writes of speaks of him lying in a manger. It speaks of his humility. What's a manger? Well, we've not got one there, and it's, it's, uh, we usually have quite a tasteful one with hay made of wood, nice little uh, V-shaped. A carpenter's job, no doubt. No, it was, it was a trough. It may have been, uh, you know, some crude construction on the side of a cave. I know that in our 
hallmark cards. We have a great wee structure and it's nice and glowing and all that sort of stuff. It wasn't that. It was, it, it was, this was you sleeping rough. This was you at the, the bottom of the pile. A feeding trough, maybe. A circle of stones cut out around the hollowed part of a cave. So imagine that, a cave being put in this place um, that you wouldn't choose to be. Is there even in this image of helplessness, of humility, of lying in a manger, a hint of Christ's death? In the manger, do we actually see a foreshadowing of Calvary? Is the infant bearing the only cross that a baby can bear extreme poverty, poverty and the contempt and indifference of humanity towards it. There is no room. There is no room. There is no room. We do not want you. We do not want you. We do not want you. Go away and stop disturbing our peace. Go away and stop disturbing our peace. Go away and stop disturbing our peace. This baby lying forgotten in an exposed stable, resting in a feeding trough, is God's sign to us all. This is the incarnation of the Son of God, Emmanuel, with us. God has come into this world in a most unlikely way. And this is what perhaps Philippians 2, 7 means when it says these words. He made, and it speaks of Jesus, he made himself nothing, taking the very servant nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So get rid of the notions of halos. Yeah, we have an account of one part of the birth, how many hours or days or weeks afterwards of, of the angels appearing uh, uh, to the shepherds out and all of that, and then they're going to see Jesus. Remove all of that. See the, a very ordinary sign of a young couple. If you were to happen upon them, you would see a young couple, and I'm sure your conclusions to it, your heart would have been out to that scene because you'd have seen people down in the luck. Nobody wanted them. They're caught. They can't get to the hospital. They had to take a feeding trough. So humanity, helplessness, humility. I think all of these give us a glimpse of the vulnerability of God. It doesn't mean the weakness of God. It means something much more deeper and chosen. It reveals his character. It's easy to get lulled at Christmas, and I love all of the sentiment of it. I do I enjoy baubles and enjoy listening to Nat King Cole and enjoy listening to El Elvis and Franks and I enjoy all of that but let's not get lulled into something that isn't the reality of who God is of Jesus sleeping in heavenly peace the truth is Luke has Jesus as in his gospel as a, a newborn baby and who is poor and powerless Matthew has King Herod happy to murder all the toddlers under the age of two in Bethlehem just to be sure that he wipes out the one that the Magi says was to be the king of the Jews. And in the ancient world, 
It was common sense that the way you could judge the most worthy gods was by their power. Ancient people would often convert to the gods of the people who conquered them, figuring out that their god was mightier than our god because our god has just been conquered by them and their god. Helpless, humble, and in humanity. How does Jesus compare to the, the, the great Greek god Hercules? Born to a mortal, as the, uh, the myth goes, and to, and to a god whose 12 labors show off such enormous physical strength and courage. God chose not that, but he chose to come and be with us and to understand. So we can understand God through his son, and he can understand us all the more through his son also. So Jesus looks puny by comparison, but the incarnation speaks volumes of how far God will go to rescue us. He didn't choose a flood or, or Sodom and Gomorrah or any of that. He chose to rescue. By his foreknowledge, he sent his son for Doug Scott, for Leah Townsend, for me, for Robert Doby. How human, how helpless, how humble, how vulnerable to fulfill all righteousness. No shortcuts, no easy roads. Because we know our bodies are vulnerable to sickness, to illness, to accident. Our health is fragile. We are one misstep, one moment of distraction, one mischewed bonbon away from eternity. In their nature, our bodies wear down, get a sore throat, get the cold, get tired, flake away, and ultimately die. That is our bodies. Jesus knows. Our bodies are deeply connected to other people's bodies, be it in pregnancy, breastfeeding, intimate care, the passing on of viruses. Our bodies are constantly interacting and communicating with other bodies. Jesus knows. And our bodies constantly react to the environment. Dust is settling on our skins at this moment. Pollution diseases our lungs. Social economic factors have a profound effect on us. Jesus knows. And our bodies are constantly in a flux and utterly dependent on other bodies in the wider environment. And this to us generates vulnerability. We need one another. We're not self-contained, no matter how much we say or try. We're not self-sufficient, but quite the opposite. We are constantly interchanging and dependent on the environment and other bodies. And Jesus knows. No shortcuts. This is the beauty of the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. So the creator of all that is, the one who endures before and beyond, 
the, the, the master storyteller and the life giver has chosen a thing so tiny and so vulnerable, which is flesh and blood, who was cast as helpless as any little leather-backed turtle who's going into the, the great beyond. And each year within every cycle of time, even as the times change, our society change, our cultures change, our family makeup and our lives change, this time of year comes round again. And we get the chance to pause and think about the radical vulnerability of God witnessed in the incarnation. This is a Christmas story. That God chose in this moment not to strong arm us, not to control us, but to issue the gentlest invitation to all. To each person who inhabits this blue-green planet, the opportunity for knowing the embodiment of all that is divine, Emmanuel. God has come to be with us. He continues by his spirit to journey with us. And one day, when we least expect it, the blinking, the twinkle of an eye, the Father will say now is the time. And we will not see Jesus, fully God, fully man, as an infant. We will see him as the King of glory who will come to judge the living and the dead, to reign and to rule and to make all things new. He will never strong arm force us to bow the knee and acknowledge who he is. The invite until that moment is that we would choose for all of us, whether we confess to follow Jesus or whether we're still checking Jesus out. The choice is ours. May we all willingly bow the knee before Emmanuel, God with us.